coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Utah kicks over the traces, Utah settles on contact tracing mobile app, and next up, promises are like pie crusts made to be Trojan. And finally, our next round of Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 48, recorded on May 18th, 2020. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. I'll never pun subscribe, LaBelle. With me, co-host Chad, cybercrime and punishment, Anderson. It's like he's trying to tell me something with that. Hmm. And last but not least, co-host Tariq, making a mountain out of a malware, Sala. Welcome back, gentlemen. Good to be back. Thank you, thank you. So, Chad, please tell me what you were insinuating there with your title. It seemed a little bit passive-aggressive. Very Seattle of you, dare I say. That's my uh, internal name for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You're going to start being called Corporate Punstable. Oh, that's a good one. I like it. All right, well, let's get right in there and have some fun. So we've got two articles to go at today. The first one is promises are like pie crusts, made to be Trojan. Uh, So a fresh malware Trojan has emerged, built from the same code base as the stealthy comp fun, which is a remote access Trojan or rat. So that's apparently that's what we do here on Breaking Badness. Now, as we talk about rats, the malware is using spoofed visa applications to hit diplomatic targets in Europe and maybe the work of the Turla APT. Chad, um, would you do the honors of bringing us back to this? Do you have this memory? No, I won't. Uh, I'm going to have Tarek do the honors. (laughs) Tarek, do you know what this is? Do you know what we're talking about? Say what? what yeah. Is that it, Chad? Did I get that oh, right? oh, you're, I, I know where you're coming from now. What did oh, you yeah, think the, I was referencing? I thought you were trying to get me to give the download on the Hunt yeah. Curler Rat. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, this is my article. So I was going to say, this is Chad's favorite YouTube video, I feel like. I just wanted to give you a chance to sing your song, Chad. Oh, yeah. Well, in our house, that's all that we play. It's just troll uh, over and over again. And so I, I see. think that's also Russian of origin too, isn't it? That meme? Yeah. Yes, yeah. It is. There is some overlay here. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Tarek, <laughs> you'll get the first question here, not Chad. Don't worry, Chad. Um, so, as I've said, apparently rats are a new favorite topic du jour at Breaking Badness. So, let's, let's insert Encyclopedia Tarek to give us a download on this tra-la-la-la-la APT. <laughs> so Turla has um, been around uh, for quite a while now, and it's one of the main APT threat groups that's um, based out of Russia. Um, and there's associations with you know, the Russian government and uh, also Russian uh, private sector um, as part of the, like, the origins there. Uh, they've been spotted and really associated with attacks all over all over the place. Um, we've seen attacks associated with Turla Group uh, in the private sector, specifically on more IP, high impact sensitive stuff like medical research and research in general, um, private sector, um, the public sector and government as well. So Turla um, has uh, been around for a while. Um, they have their, uh, like from a TTP perspective, like their tools, techniques and procedures, 
Um, one thing that's really interesting about Turlo that kind of stands out above uh, from other threat groups is they're really big fans of recycling old malware that's associated with other threat groups. Um, and that's a really interesting from a tactics point of view, because um, like, for example, the Turla group, they've been seen as um, associated with recycling and reusing PlugX and Windy, which those are two uh, malware groups or malwares that are associated with China and Chinese-based threat groups. So um, it's really interesting from a from a, a security intelligence perspective, uh, using that tactic, it's a, a surefire way just because of how threat intel works to make attribution to uh, Turla really, really tremendously difficult because people are going to asso- associate, you know, those variants or those, you know, pieces of malware uh, with the wrong threat group. So Turla is pretty interesting in some of their tactics. Now, I might be hitting too hard on this, but I really feel like APT should be their own comics. Like you have this origin story thing happening and then you're talking about like their TTPs. I feel like these would be you know, APT comic looks. I hey, feel like that would go great. Jeez, that's a, that's a killer idea. You should get Marvel on the line. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Marvel. Um, <laughs> so speaking of that, in this code base for Rat, which may or may not be similar to other payloads, how did the researchers at Kaspersky then link this malware back to Turla, considering the nuance of what you just explained there? Yeah, so it's um, so back in 2019, Kaspersky found a new variant of a comp fund malware, um, and they relabeled it as a uh, reductor. And uh, one of the key features about comp fund and reductor is their um, ability to intercept uh, TLS, encrypted communications, and the way that it spreads itself via uh, mounted devices like network shares or USB drives. Uh, so you have uh, a lot of commonality uh, in the code, uh, the code base uh, between comp fund and reductor uh, for those kind of capabilities of TLS interception and for how it enumerates network shares and USB drives to kind of spread. Um, but also uh, another really interesting data point for attribution um, is the victimology. So Kaspersky was able to analyze with a really high likelihood of confidence, the victims associated with both uh, pieces of malware and say with, you know, once again, that high confidence that the Turla group is associated. So we have a mixture of, uh, of a technical level on uh, attribution as well as the victimology side. So it sounds like you are satisfied with the attribution. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it really makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I think victimology is one part of attribution that, you know, from a malware and threat perspective, we kind of forget about sometimes. We focus very much on IOCs such as like domains or URLs or IPv4s or, or how um, a piece of malware does a thing. Um, and that code reuse, which are which are great, but you know, victimology is another aspect of attribution. You know, um, you know, attackers are going to have their pool of victims based off of you know their motives, and um, you know, you could see a lot of commonality in those. And so, this is a really this is a really kind of a cool perspective on on uh, doing attribution and just threat intel in general. Well said. And speaking of our friends at Kaspersky. I'm curious what they found in terms of the fake visa application and how that all works. Yeah, so um, it's really interesting uh, because Kaspersky wasn't able to do any kind of, well, they didn't have any data based off of their means of collecting this information on how the trailer group um, has been initially spreading Reductor. 
Um, so that part's generally unknown. And we're talking about like the payload delivery mechanism or the initial uh, mechanism. So, you know, traditionally we're thinking malicious web pages that you visit, like a watering hole attack or a drive-by attack or a, um, you know, a malicious email, for example, with uh, with an executable attached. Those are really common initial, you know, means that malware is distributed. But Kaspersky wasn't able to do to uncover a piece of data about that uh, from Reductor. Um, but what is interesting is that Reductor here in this case is the Visa spoofing application is an actual executable that's bundled inside of um, one of the initial payloads of Reductor itself. So a victim, and we'll talk a little bit about this too, about how the how the attack generally works. But um, using the, that TLS interception, the Reductor malware is able to kind of unpack itself, execute itself, and then present itself as a spoofed uh, visa application uh, as a part of that lure into, you know, getting those type of victims to uh, install and run it. Let me tell you what, the only times I ever hear the word bundle come up are describing an attack or me contacting my ISP, both of which are not things I enjoy. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, I have a very negative connotation with the word bundle at this point. Um, <laughs> I, but Tarek, thank you for walking through that. I really appreciate it. So you you teased us a little bit talking about the first stage of the malware here. What can you tell us about the malware and actually the main module as well? Yeah, it, it's really interesting. Uh, so once again, there's no real data point right now from Kaspersky on how the delivery mechanism uh, or what it is. Um, like I said, there's a lot of theories based on just how malware is generally distributed. You know, a trojanized application or... Um, um, you know, a benign looking web page that has an iframe in it, like a watering hole attack or an email is mail spam. So that part's kind of unknown. But what's interesting is that um, the uh, reductor malware will, will be presented as an executable that looks like a visa, like a, a visa application. You fill out this, this form and, you know, for your visa and, um, you know, from there, you'll go through the, the normal benign process. But in the background, What's happening is a reductor then gets dropped onto the victim's computer and begins its kind of enumeration process looking for mounted devices. And um, like, and when I say a mounted device, we're talking about USBs or network shares. Um, and then from there, it uh, actually injects itself and poisons um, other binary files, so other PE files on Windows boxes uh, or document files or PDFs. So really interesting in the means that, that it spreads, really effective too. Um, because a lot of, you know, file system, uh, if we're talking about network shares and stuff too, there's a lot of network shares and file systems that, uh, that don't really do kind of any antivirus in inspections and things like that. So the ability for it to spread, um, uh, you know, can be really reasonably effective here. Um, and then at the actual, the end stage with Reductor, um, it very much has like traditional rat capabilities. And so, you know, two things that are really um, very common with rats, when I say capabilities are things like key logging and screenshot taking. And that's exactly what Reductor does. Very nice. Thank you very much for walking through that, Tarek. I really appreciate the depth there of your descriptions. So my last question for you is, what are the implications of a malware Trojan targeting visa applications? What's really at stake here? Yeah, so it's um, number one, like when we're talking about visa applications and the data that you're kind of interacting with with those, that's already relatively sensitive data. We're talking your full name, you know, um, I'm going to say social security number, but I know that's only uh, in reference to the United States, but there's got to be another 
that I just don't know off the top of my head, some unique identifier um, akin to a social security number, you know, your address and et cetera. So, um, you know, all that data right there is already really sensitive, but I think the double whammy here is that once Reductor gets installed on your box, um, it has those keylogger capabilities and the keylogger is where the Turla threat group has the ability to intercept um, and hijack and read your personal accounts, like your email address or your, you know, your medical systems or your social media. Um, and these are all really great pivot points into like a full user compromise. So, so lower sophisticated threat groups would probably take that data and they would, you know, bundle it up and sell it on them on, you know, the black market. Whereas APT groups, I mean, you have, um, you know, tons of espionage level data. They can move laterally into other sensitive networks. Uh, based on those credentials, they have the ability to uh, gather really sensitive data through emails and stuff to perform blackmail and extortion. So the impact here, the implications are pretty high. Well, I think that leads really well here into our hoodie ratings. And just a quick reminder, this is on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being terrified, zero, maybe a nice giggle. Um, and so Chad, I'm going to start with you. How concerned are you by Turla? You know, I haven't put this at an 8 out of 10, maybe even a 9 out of 10. I think what's interesting about this uh, from the espionage level, you know, they're intercepting their man in the middle TLS uh, communication. Um, and the fact that no one knows how it's dropping is uh, just makes it interesting and a little more uh, wary for me. So, yeah, I would put it up there at 8 or 9. What about you, Tarek? So, um, you know, honestly, I think we're in the same kind of boat where this is like an eight or a nine out of 10. Um, anytime we're dealing with uh, sophisticated groups like Turla, um, I always want to bump the ratings up significantly because kind of like what I was saying, where it's what they do with the data that really can help gauge the impact along with what the data is. Um, and in this case, we have, you know, uh, an APT group that's you know, related to espionage level stuff. So they, so the impact could be pretty global from this, depending on who the victims are. Um, and I'm going to give this one a high rating. I'm going to do some masterful math here and average out the eight and the nine and give you both eight and a half hoodies based on what you just said. I know didn't even use a calculator. Don't be too impressed. Um, but <laughs> a good, uh, good sense there from you both. This sounds a little, a little scary. Um, like most things on our podcast. <laughs> Speaking of scary, let's talk about Utah kicks over the traces. So the state of Utah has settled on a contact tracing mobile app that collects detailed user location information huh? to track the spread of COVID-19 among citizens, eschewing the API model proposed by Apple and Google in April. And let me tell you, Apple and Google don't even sell shoes. So I don't even know if that quite makes sense. I would love for Apple to release some shoes, by the way, <laughs> just as a complete side note as a shoe fanatic. Well, I'm sure you saw Alan Liska's tweet um, referencing how both of you can tell the future there with uh, ransomware as a service. And yes. I gave you a little shoe call out there on Twitter. Do you like that? I loved it. And what <laughs> Alan and the world needs to know is that the shoes, those are Nike mags and those are my holy grail of shoes. They go for like $25,000. So you know, if you ever see those shoes on my shelf, I've done something right in my career to be able to afford those. <laughs> or he's turned over to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Turl, are you hiring? Because <laughs> <laughs> now you know what this man needs. 
It'd just take to buy him out with some some shoes there. That, that's all it takes. Um, <laughs> take his soul with some souls. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, <laughs> but before this gets too dark, I'm going to turn over to Chad and ask for him to level set what the API model is um, that is being referred to with Apple and Google that was put out back in April. Yeah, so the what they're basing it off is this DP3T specification that was put together by a bunch of um, kind of privacy-focused European university uh, groups. Um, and I think there was a Canadian university as well, but um, that's just the Europe to the north of us. Uh, but uh, the Google and model or Google and Apple model is based heavily off that, where they use Bluetooth low energy and then cryptographic signatures in their protocol design, and it's a it's a rolling key that's based off the hardware address of the Bluetooth device. Um, so that rolls about every fifteen to twenty minutes, and that kind of keeps both your security and your privacy as well. Um, and according to the ACLU, the Google and Apple proposal mitigates a lot of the privacy and security risks that they were worried about with, um, you know, governments having access to all this location data, people's medical data, and, and you know, what company would be running that. Um, it's all just a lot less uh, big brother with Google and Apple's system. And they're also proposing to call it exposure notification instead of contact tracing, uh, just to kind of rebrand it, I guess, in uh, that way. So, yeah, the, kind of their whole thing here is to use cryptography to maintain privacy for people. And uh, there's a couple countries already going with that spec and a couple deciding, um, you know, to ignore it altogether, like Utah's doing here. <laughs> so what can you tell us more exactly about what Utah is doing? First of all, going back to your comment, though, about the Europe of the North for Canada. Yeah, that's on their license plates, isn't it? Uh, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. I just call them America's hat normally. Um, <laughs> but Europe of the North is also a uh, <laughs> the wildlings above the wall um, <laughs> uh, maybe that's us I don't know I don't know uh, yeah. are we the pants of Canada yeah uh, perhaps or socks yeah I don't I, know we're the hoodie um, of Canada is what it is <laughs> <laughs> wait a second <laughs> alright so what can you tell me about the app Utah settled on and what kind of data will be collected and shared yeah, so the Healthy Together app is what it's called. Um, it collects GPS data, cell tower triangulation, Bluetooth data, um, users' health information. Um, the company behind it is called 20 Holdings, um, and they make these in-person like social apps for hanging out, like to meet new people and whatnot. Um, and the data collected is supposed to just be shared with health workers and then 20 Holdings employees, obviously, because they need to do some of that. Um, but... It's all done like in the clear with, well, they probably, I would hope that they use encryption between their servers, but it's not the rolling key version that Google and Apple propose, which kind of makes things harder and harder for anyone to brute force and figure out, um, you know, the identities of the users. Chad, tell us everything about the 19 other holdings they must have. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, those were the first 19 failed apps. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lucky number 20. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is a little disturbing that the majority of their business is about getting people together. Um, a little, a little bit um, contradictory 
to what yeah. others might say is healthy. Well, yeah, um, I wonder in that in that way, you know, are they going to be promoting on their other apps, like for to get people to come and hang out to use those apps, and then they also have this contract tracing or contact tracing app that's then uh, telling people when they've all hung out and uh, infected each other. This reminds me of my other business ideal, in which. On one side of the street, you would have bar fitness, and I'm not talking about the already licensed bar fitness. I'm talking about drinking and exercising that are meant to be mixed. Mm. And then across the street from that, you have a law firm, and the businesses feed off of each other. I think this is similar. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so why are the Utah officials so hell-bent on implementing Healthy Together, and what's the added benefit on top of these pieces of infrastructure and apps that have already been created by well-known companies. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people are, um, I don't know, I, you know, this would just be th me theorizing. Obviously, I'm not talking to Utah officials. If they want to call me, they're welcome to. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that a lot of people don't trust the Apple and the Google or Silicon Valley, or maybe they want to do it their own way, or maybe someone in government, you know, uh, knows someone who works for that firm, like we saw with uh, some previous glaring voting issues um, here with uh, voting apps in the US. Um, but they're convinced that it'll help them slow the spread and uh, reopen the economy. You know, that's what everyone wants to do. Um, I'm not sure they've really thought about the cost of giving up that user privacy information, you know, uh, but maybe I'm a little bit of a tinfoil hat. Ah, uh, yes. I think that has to be mentioned every episode now. I think we talked about tinfoil hat next time. So you've created a pattern for yourself. Yeah. Um, and I respect that. <laughs> and speaking about the data that they're collecting, uh, can you give us a little bit more insight into what that app will be holding on to and sharing with said employees and the state? Yeah, so it's all the you know it's all the tracking information um, that you would expect, and then also um, you know kind of your health status and whatnot, like if you're having symptoms, things like that. Uh, and then you know they say that it's opt in for any of that data, but I you know we already see here in Seattle where if, when they start reopening restaurants, you know they're going to be at fifty percent capacity, but you have to sign a login list to get in, and that's going to be required um, for like manual contract tracing. So I think it's a really short amount of time before the opt in becomes a heavy suggestion becomes mandatory. Yeah, and speaking of privacy, um, I'm sure many of us have heard about. I can't remember what it was for some IoT device. Um, some folks read the the privacy terms out loud and recorded it and it took hours <laughs> what are there privacy terms on this i can't imagine what those look like and do users have any sort of control over what data is shared yeah that's the thing they uh you know i'm obviously you could choose not to have the app installed or choose to restrict permissions on your your phone or device but um you know like i was saying when are when is it going to be required that you've opted into this app to be able to get access to other things? You know, it's because no one wants to have the liability, particularly in, uh, you know, frivolous lawsuit America of having people come through who uh, they don't know their status, if they're infected or not. Oh boy. What a time. What a time to be alive. Um, yeah, that'll be very interesting to keep an eye on. I would have to agree with your predictions there, Chad, as much as I'd like not to. Um, <laughs> And you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but what other what are other countries doing when it comes to contact tracing? Are they doing anything that's working, that's allowing people to have both privacy and health um, 
their health? <laughs> so there are a lot of countries like Austria, um, I believe Ireland are all going with the Apple Google model or that DP3T specification, you know, some formation of uh, privacy mixed with tracking um, that just allows people to like cryptographically keep their privacy. You know, the math is sound on it. Um, so other countries, though, that are a little less seen right now are doing their own app. The UK is working on testing something. The current leak of that has a lot of privacy people concerned. Um, and then India also already released theirs, and it's been an absolute mess. Uh, you're able to pinpoint an exact user location at all time once they've tested positive for coronavirus, um, which is not at all good for privacy. Um, you can see some sort of mob rushing in on that. What could go wrong? <laughs> um, yeah, and, and I know that you have numerous concerns about this app. I'd like to hear a few of them and really what your mental worst case scenario is with these contact tracing apps, specifically the ones you're, you're talking about here, like the NHS are creating in the UK and what Utah is implementing. Yeah, I, you know, I don't like that the data is going to be kept around for um, a very long time. I would assume one of the things that Apple and Google have in their spec is that they will go about deleting the data and they want to have control of the app at the operating system level. And a lot of these proposals from these other companies, they want the app to be able to circumvent the operating system and run above other apps, um, which immediately is a security hazard, um, as anyone knows. So it's where I get nervous. These other companies don't have security in mind. Um, they just want to be able to collect all this data and there's no promise that it'll go away. Um, and, and Apple and Google want to define a timeline of when they'll uninstall this thing from everyone's phone. Um, and I guarantee you the moment that all these apps drop, every security researcher is just salivating right now. You know, we just want to go and find holes in these things. And that's why India's app was published. And within a couple hours, someone was like, oh, I can just find whoever has coronavirus. Um, and that's that mistake is a glaringly obvious one. So I just don't think that I can trust most of these uh, development firms the way that I would trust Apple or Google to make something that's a little bit more secure. You know, they have some great minds that, uh, you know, know the know the math behind doing those that rolling key cryptography and um, what that would mean. So, well, I think this is probably a natural time to do some hoodie ratings. So Tarek, how concerned are you about uh, Utah's decision here and this general trend? Well, you know, when it comes to like security stuff and uh, solutioning around how to, you know, you know, solving these kind of problems, um, I always trust the folks and the individuals at uh, more established resource or more established companies to do this right. And this really comes down to like a resources thing. Uh, you know, I, I think the intentions of a lot of these, uh, you know, companies and or not companies, these governments and and these like local um, you know, smaller governments like the state of Utah and stuff. I think they, they have the right intentions. They want to do the right thing, but they just don't have the resources to do it the right way. And it really comes down to a resource thing. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the skill of uh, the staff that are building it and uh, what that all looks like. So, you know, I have tons of concern around this. Um, I would give this thing, I mean, from a privacy perspective, if you actually run some of these, you know, uh, questionable apps that are coming out of like the UK or India. I mean, from a privacy perspective, what's the government going to do with that data? I, oof, I can only imagine I'm getting, you know, uh, Edward Snowden flashbacks right now. And 
uh, you know, I, that there's, there's the abuse level of that really sensitive data. Um, I don't know. I would give this thing just a, you know, a 10 out of 10. I mean, it's, it's high impact. It's scary. I think that even some of the more, more privacy conscious folks are going to be uh, more susceptible to downloading it and having their data be abused um, because, you know, of what's going on with the pandemic. So uh, it's a really interesting time, you know. What do you think about this? Chad, would you agree with that 10 out of 10? Yeah, I would do the same purely from the privacy perspective. You know, I I just find it to be, especially with the the spread of different apps that are going to be out there instead of like one standard that's vetted and, you know, security researchers get time to look it over. Um, you know, all the things that you would do if you want to develop secure, good software, you know, it should be open so that everyone can tinker on it. Um, all of those kind of things. But uh, yeah, that's just, I know that's not going to happen and that data is going to just be floating around. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a year from now on this podcast, we talk about some open elastic search engines that's just sitting there with everyone's location data, um, you know, just sitting shown on Shodan for six months or something like that from one of these companies. Um, in fact, I'll, I would bet money on it right now. So yeah, I think it's a 10 out of 10. Just send me the link to your Bitcoin wallet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you both for your insight here on both of those topics. Now let's have a little bit of fun and do our game of two truths and a lie. So I'm up this week, so I will be attempting to trick Chad and Tarek, or Chark, if you will. Um, and hopefully I've got three article titles here. Two are true, one is a lie, um, and whoever tricks which is myself, I get a point for if I trick either Tark or Chad, and they get a they get a point if they guess correctly. So are you two ready for my article titles? Bring it. Alrighty. The first one. Hackers breach three point five million Moby Friends dating app credentials. Number two, Trickbot Attack exploits COVID nineteen fears with DocuSign theme ploy. And number three. Single malicious GIF opens state of Arkansas to nasty attack. Uh, I'm going to go with the Arkansas GIF only because you pronounced it the correct way, which is GIF, but it'll always be GIF in my heart. Oh my gosh. I miss, I purposely in my mind was going to say GIF. I always misread the GIF GIF. I'm just always, you know, want to think of GIF as the marshmallow fluff. And I think that's natural. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're saying it the right way. The inventor came out and said it's pronounced GIF, but dang it, I'll always call it GIF. So I'm going to go with that one as my answer, yeah. strictly because of the pronunciation. It's a gift to all of us, you know? Hey! Um, but uh, I am going to go with the gifted choice as well. Um, definitely, uh, I believe that someone had to have hacked the Moby fans, whatever it was, um, dating app. (laughs) All right, you two ready for our drum roll? This is a really unfortunate day for me. You both got that right. (laughs) Yeah. The the reason why it was a gift is because I know that there can't be anything malicious packed into gifts. I don't think I've ever seen it. Tarek, you? Uh, I've heard, uh, I mean like the whole stenography thing always exists, right? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, there is that aspect to it. Uh, 
but like i don't know if there's like what image magic is really is kind of popular for uh, uh as a like vulnerable library for that kind of stuff but i don't know about gifts uh, i have to be honest with you this is a real attack it's just not a state government it is microsoft teams so that's the actual title single malicious gif oh. open microsoft teams to nasty attack oh is it probably an autoplay um feature of some kind that always that's what got the whatsapp people right it might be this came out in April, late April. Hmm. I'll send this to both of you. Um, clearly, I need to go back to the drawing board for my strategy here because I'm getting better at guessing, but I seem to be getting worse and worse at lying to both of you, and I hate it. <sighs> <laughs> well, to be fair, I I made it clear. The only reason why I picked that was just the pronunciation of, of GIF. That's it. Son of that a That is GIF. it. <laughs> I will be working on that day and night. Now that I know that's a major part of your decision making, I will not let it slip again. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Well, thank you both. And just a heads up to our listeners, we're actually going to be taking a week off here for the long weekend. So we won't be back next Wednesday. Instead, we will be back on June 3rd is when you'll hear us next. So I hope that you all have a nice long weekend. Hopefully you can step away from your machines. You don't have any tickets coming through or fires you need to put out and have some time um, with the family that you're quarantined with and some time away from work. So with that, this has been another episode of Breaking Badness. We won't see you next week, but we'll see you the week after. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>